Hello and welcome to FFS Fast Finance Sorted, your fun 15 minute financial education. I'm Beth Jackson from Two Sisters Accounting. And I'm Martin McLeod from Financial Health Club. And I'm Hilary Lewis from Winchester Corporate Finance. And today's episode is sponsored by Reward Finance Group. Martin, I've actually got a question for you. I saw this thing about um, from NatWest about Tell Sid. Do you know what that's about? Because I didn't have a clue. Yeah, it's about Tell Sid was a campaign they used in the nineteen eighties to get people to buy British gas shares. When and now they're trying to do something similar with NatWest. So, like NatWest was kind of bailed out by the government in 2008, which was the old RBS. So they still own like 35%. The government still own 35% of the company and shares. So they are going to try and get the British public to buy that 35% off them at some time between now and 2025, 2026 is their plan. They want the public to buy shares in themselves. Yeah, they want the public to buy shares in that way. Yeah, because obviously the government backed it to get out of trouble. Now they want to offload those shares to the public. I've so essentially that. they're wanting people to be, they're going to start a campaign to get people to buy shares in that way. That is, that is kind of like their main objective, even though they're not going to be giving any of these people any financial education on what shares they should be buying or in, in, in what attitude to risk they are or understanding oh. um, exactly what they are buying. They are just going to almost advertise to incentivize these people to own a piece of, of NatWest for the future. I'm like putting my hand up because I've got about 16 questions. Um... <laughs> Number one, I bank with NatWest. I'm going to ask all my questions and file them at you and then you can answer because I feel like, why not just bombard you? Number one, I bank with NatWest. Do I need to be worried? <laughs> Number two, should I buy shares in NatWest as I bank with them or should other people buy the shares? And number three, in like 30 seconds, can you explain why the government bought them and why they now want to sell them? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the government bought them because the company RBS, under the bad management of Fred the Shred, as they call them, um, were about to go, were, were within minutes of going bust um, back in 2008 because of the the bad decision-making they had made, um, as many did around about that time and taking on too much leverage. Um, so, the NatWest, so they were bailed out by the government. The government obviously put in a substantial amount of money to bailing them out, and they want that money back now. And the easiest way to do that is to sell what must be a large quantity of shares to the public by getting the public interested in buying them. The question of bank shares, is it good to buy bank shares? <laughs> You've got another question? I've, I've got a question. It... <laughs> but it was related what to what you were just saying. So now I'm like, have I forgotten what it was? No, but it, you, so, yeah, no, I have. <laughs> Sorry, really? No, well, right. you'll so come back to me. The, so the, the question, the, the, yeah, the, the question would be, are bank shares good shares to buy? Personally, I don't invest in bank shares. The reason for that is that, well, two reasons probably. They, they by nature, carry a lot of debt on their books. They carry a lot of leverage, so effectively, they don't make huge returns, especially during 
poorer times. So yeah, I'm looking for you know more stable companies where you can look at the balance sheet and understand what's going on. Like a famous fund manager, Terry Smith, who worked in a bank in a high position, once said he would never invest in banks because anybody within a 15-minute phone call can completely change the balance sheet. If the government bought them and now they want the money back, is it a good thing for the economy if we buy them or not? No, uh, well, you, yeah, the government may have the money back to do something else with it, but essentially you're going to be holding shares in that West that, and we don't know what price they're going to be selling these shares at yet. They've yet to decide that. So you, when you're working out the value, you would need to know, this is the problem. Most people just buy shares with no understanding of like anything behind the company or what they can expect as a return. So like an average company might trade at something like three times debt to equity. A bank will trade at about 20 times debt to equity. So your, your, your risk is much more investing in banks, in my opinion. I'm not saying you can't make money investing in bank shares, but the older school banks, I would say, are becoming more... You just look around you, all these, these banks are closing because the, the banking industry is changing. Some of these yeah. fintech companies are, 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 are making things easier. Starling, Monzo, um, like and, all the challenger yeah, banks are coming exactly, in. Like yeah. we see it all the time. And, and who's to say that that, that won't become um, you know, completely the future? So you are investing potentially also in a what I would describe as like a dinosaur industry. The FTSE 100, as I've talked about quite a lot with clients, the FTSE 100 is by nature full of dinosaurs. It's full of oil companies. It's full of old you know, institutions that are maybe, that had growth periods in the 70s and 80s, but are now effectively dividend paying dinosaurs. But as you look at America and you see the S&P 500, you see a growth, you see companies like, for example, Apple and Amazon, which are, which have been the growth companies of the last 20, 30 years, and they could be the future. These are the these are companies which are providing huge gains, huge profit. Yes, yeah, sorry. This has opened up a can of worms. Yeah. Me and Beth are just giggling here, like keep yeah. putting our fingers up. But, yeah. like, obviously, the get like the tech industry though. Like if you're talking about talking about like Silicon Valley, they have seen like big collapses of tech firms recently. So are tech companies, if you're going to invest yeah. in them, are they more risky than a bank, say? Or no? Depending on, yeah, well, any every company carries risks um, depending on their profit levels, depending on their returns on capital, depending on like what what you see. M most people, when they buy shares, they don't look at their, they, do, they don't look under the bonnet. They don't actually look at what the company does, what it's making, what it's projected to make in the future. Because that's offensive. When you buy shares, you're buying a piece of the future earnings. So what are the future earnings going to be five, 10, 15 years into the future? Can you see a long runway ahead? Like for example, if I'm selling you toothpaste I can see a long runway ahead for toothpaste. You know, I can't see a long runway away. Like, for example, the best example would have been Blockbuster. <laughs> Everybody knew Blockbuster was going bust. It took years and years for Blockbuster to actually go bust, but we could all see it happening. We, we, we were all devastated. There watching these, yeah, yeah, watching these stores effectively being empty on Friday night <laughs> after them being like a mecca, the place that we grew up in. <laughs> yeah, next question. <laughs> my final, my final question was actually from my first round of questions, but I just want to check: as a NatWest customer, 
do I need to worry? No, I don't, no there's no worry about the, the company. All, all, all they're trying to do is, for, let's say, for example, I own 35%. If I sell the shares to you guys and you both own half of it each, there's no, there is no, like, for the people who are customers of the bank, it doesn't matter who owns the shares. You know, like most companies that are public are owned by tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. I mean, think about how many people own a piece of Amazon or a piece of Apple, for example. Um, so that doesn't, if you if you have a share, you end up selling it to somebody else in the future anybody, and somebody else is always a willing buyer of these large companies. So you don't have to worry about um, being a customer, but it's effectively, as somebody who's looking to invest to make a return, you shouldn't just be influenced by the fact that the government's advertising campaign is telling you to do it because you need to have a more basic understanding of why you're doing it and understand what kind of level of return and also what level of risk you should be taking when it comes to investing. So definitely get some help before you just blindly buy shares because the government advertising campaign... Clearly me and Beth are just going to be quick firing questions at you forever now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we've actually got um, LinkedIn legend... Uh, Freddie Chergwin Bell on the line, ready to ask a question for us. So, my question to you all is I am rubbish with numbers and spreadsheets and finances and all of that. So, this question is in two parts. One, how can I be a lot more confident in organizing, handling, keeping track of my money and my financials? But also part two of the question being what say in the first five years would a new freelancer or new business, uh, someone going out on their own, what should they prepare for and expect when it comes to their financials? Thank you. Oh, that is a good question. I don't know whether you want to start it, Beth. Or are you... I was yeah, going to say, yeah. uh, so confidence-wise, like how you should keep records of stuff if you don't like spreadsheets, find what works for you. Until you're VAT registered how you keep your books is entirely personal preference so if you hate spreadsheets don't use a spreadsheet find a bit of software that you like if you hate software you hate spreadsheets technically you can do it all on pen on paper you don't have to have a like you don't have to have software in place you just need to be keeping track of stuff make life easier for yourself make sure you're doing everything through a business bank account so everything coming in and out is in one place then you've got a really good starting point of what you're looking for um Obviously, it depends what you want from it and what you want to get. If you want a really good idea of your of the profit you're making every month, then you may want you may want some software to do things with and then find the one that you find easiest. I think the way to feel most confident with your numbers is by finding what works for you. Ignore all the noise, ignore all the you have to have this, ignore the snazzy advertising campaigns. Just find the one that you like and do that. And then what can you expect in the first five years of business? chaos (laughs) it's chaos it's really hard um you will want to cry but it's really fun (laughs) and i think i I would probably add uh, i would one of the previous episodes beth you talked about the fact that you should take 
20% of your earnings and put it into like a business reserve account. I think that's a brilliant idea. It's almost like just an automatic thing. You're effectively, you're building, you're seeing that as something that you can't touch. You're moving it straight away. And it's a bonus if there's something left there at the end of the year, but it's, you're taking that worry away from yourself about having to calculate your own tax. As soon as you get paid, put something into that reserve account um, and, and just make it an automatic process really. And I think that will help you. But I mean, when it comes to businesses, obviously, I'd say Hillary's got much more experience than me in running lots of yeah, much more. I think, like, I know from from my own experiences, like Beth said, I found that I actually I didn't really like spreadsheets, so I I had my like old school ledger book, and I used to, for my salon that's what I used for that, and I found that worked really well. I liked kind of writing everything down, and it used to kind of help it really soak in for me that actual writing it. Uh, certainly for my international business, I did everything online and I was really organized with like folders and making sure I had separate folders so that if when it came to finding certain documents, it was just really quick and easy for me to find them because there's nothing worse than rooting around in an inbox trying to figure out where things are. Um, and yeah, in the first five years, I think when it comes to your finances, I think preparation and planning is really key. So Cash flow forecasts is something that I'm really big on. There's some great software to help with those. Um, I, I think I've said it before in a previous episode, but um, Float are a really good online uh, platform that you can quickly like pull out your uh, cash flow forecasts. Um, and I think it's spotting ahead of time, like any areas that are or weak spots in your cash flow, because if you know that you know in six months time you're going to really struggle to pay for something you need you can plan ahead and make sure you're either running a promotion or you're you know you you're you can just assess where you are and what you need to do and make sure that you can cover that spot whether it is using something like finance um, i think one of the biggest things that i've found that is using is getting money mindset like set in place so that rather than seeing using debt as a negative thing you start to see it as a tool so when it came to me and my finances i would quite often um decide on a new treatment or product that i wanted to invest in as such i would then work out my return and how much i needed to like price to get to get that back and then i would then go and source um finance for it to make sure that i could then pay it back when the treatment I was you know so I'd be I'd pick a, a new line say it was teeth whitening for example there was a fad on that when that came in the equipment and training was a thousand pounds and I knew that I had to charge around 95 pounds a person um to make a profit on it and get my return so for me it was the initial investment and then covering the cost of that plus the cost of any marketing materials to then promote the treatment and then doing the actual treatment and bringing in the money. And it was just always working out ahead of time how much, how long it was going to take me, how much I needed to borrow and how quickly I could pay it back before I then actually started making a profit in my business. And the beauty industry was very faddy. You know, you would find things would come in, they'd be really popular. So it, it was a lot of it, the preparation actually came into doing a lot of research and then figuring out which treatment was actually going to be good for my customer base and would still have the return and the profit margins there. And a lot of research went into it. Um, and I think that's the same with any business. It's it's making sure that you are researching what you are doing and how it needs to be uh, 
you know, every business is unique. So it's it's what is exactly is going to be the right thing for you and, and finding the right people around you. So I used to go to my accountant a lot to, to run ideas through. I'd also um, speak to my, my bank manager. I actually learned later on that I would have been better at having a, a business finance uh, broker because I used to go directly to, I feel like we're really slating NatWest here, but I did used to bank with NatWest and I used to go directly <laughs> to them and they don't offer all the products available. So they wouldn't, they would, did give me an overdraft. I did get bank loans through them, but um, they, the products that would have been really useful to me, like a merchant cash advance, they didn't offer. So it, I think it's just having the right people around you that you can go to and soundboard off. Um, and it's, again, it's just down to that preparation, but it's crazy. Nothing will prepare you for it. It's a bit like parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's a, um, like the best description, visualization, like that I've ever seen of running a business is the film Joy. I don't know if you've seen yes. it. So it's um, Jennifer Lawrence, who I love, which might help, but she invents a mop. And it's like her journey from inventing this mop and like really struggling to basically being the queen of TV selling. And I love it. I love the fact that- <laughs> Hillary, Hillary raised her finger. I raised my finger. I, I love the fact that Joy, the reason this mop gets invented, you're gonna, you're gonna see why I like this, Martin, is because they, uh, she's on a yacht and a glass smashes and she's got to clean the glass up with a, with a mop and you just can't do that with a normal mop. And that's where it came from. And I think, as you say, like, it's a great concept, like from idea conception all the way through, it, it really does show it, doesn't it? It really shows the highs and lows. It, it's, it's on my list. Yeah. And how hard, it's just, yeah, it really accurately shows because I think everyone sees like with LinkedIn really and stuff, it's, it's just like a highlights reel some of the time. Everyone tells you how amazing it is, and it's um, it's really not that, not that all the time. Obviously, it has some moments where it's amazing, but you also get a lot of lows. <laughs> and on that cheery note, <laughs> your business is great, but it is hard. Um, but thank you for joining us at FFS Fast Finance Sorted. This episode has been sponsored by Reward Finance Group. And just remember, the first 10 people to leave us a five-star rating and write a LinkedIn post using the hashtag FFS Fast Finance Sorted will get coffee on us.